Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. This is Japanese scriptwriter and novelist Takeshi Shudo. Shudo was the head writer for the first five years of the Pokemon anime, as well as the first three Pokemon movies. His creative process was fueled by alcohol and tranquilizers. And in the last two years before his death, he became obsessed with the only Pokemon he ever created, Lugia. The full story behind the diving Pokemon's creation is a long and complicated story involving substance abuse, seizures, and contributions from just about every corner of Pokemon bureaucracy. To get the full picture, Did You Know Gaming searched through hundreds of Shudo's Japanese blog posts and translated everything he ever wrote about Lugia, along with some leaks and several other key documents. But before we dive into Lugia's bizarre origin story, let's talk about where Lugia wasn't created, at Game Freak headquarters. In retrospect, it almost seems inevitable that Lugia would appear in Pokemon second generation, especially since Lugia's place as Silver's box legendary is nothing short of iconic. But Lugia's inclusion in Gen 2 wasn't originally part of the plan. The earliest builds of Pokemon Gold and Silver were shown to the public only once, at Space World 1997, an E3-style gaming expo held in Japan exclusively for Nintendo products. Gold and Silver's 1997 demos were very different to the game's final build, taking place in a region based on the entirety of Japan and containing lots of Pokemon that eventually got cut from the game's final build. But after the expo, Nintendo and Game Freak locked those demos away in their vaults forever, leaving fans around the world wondering about all the secrets and lost Pokemon inside. It was one of gaming's biggest mysteries for over two decades, that is until 2018, when a hacker going by the pseudonym Wacko broke into Nintendo's servers and stole tons of development assets. Before getting arrested, the first thing they leaked was the now legendary Space World demo. Fans marveled at all the newly found lost Pokemon, but one very important Pokemon was missing from the Pokedex, Lugia. Later leaks stemming from the same hack revealed that Lugia's first appearance in Gold and Silver's development was dated June 1999. According to Shudo, that's because it wasn't Game Freak who created Lugia, it was him. He came up with Lugia specifically for the second Pokemon movie, which released one month later in July 1999. When he created Lugia, Shudo originally thought it had remained exclusive to the film. In fact, he was actually surprised when it appeared in the games at all. Toward the end of his life, Shudo wrote on his blog, Since Lugia was a Pokemon I designed myself solely for the new movie, I was surprised it ended up getting used later in the games and TV show. Actually, I thought of Lugia as a Pokemon exclusive to the movies. By modern standards, Shudo's expectation that Lugia would be a theatre-exclusive Pokemon seems absurd. Of course it found its way into the games, but this was still early days for the franchise and series standards were still being formed. And even knowing what we know today, it's worth pointing out that there are still Pokemon forms that appear in official media but never made their way into the mainline series, like Mecha Mewtwo from Pokemon Live, Primal Dialga from Pokemon Mystery Dungeon, and of course Shadow Lugia from Pokemon XD Gale of Darkness. Gold and Silver's development began as soon as Red and Green were finished, with Game Freak originally saying Gen 2 would release in 1997 but their release date ended up getting delayed by a full two years. And according to Shudo, if it wasn't for that massive delay, Lugia's inclusion in Gold and Silver would have been impossible, which raises an interesting question. If that two year delay never happened, which Pokemon was originally planned as Silver's mascot? More leaks from the Wacko hack have since revealed an even earlier proto-Pokedex in which Ho-Oh, Unknown, and a third Pokemon were all grouped together. This lost Pokemon ultimately got scrapped, but it appears to have been based on Shushu from Chinese mythology, also known as Lion Dogs. In China, they're considered guardians, and Shushu statues are often placed at the entrances of imperial palaces, temples,
schools, government offices, and the homes of the wealthy. Hoo is clearly based on the Chinese phoenix Feng Huang, which suggests this pair of Chinese-inspired legendary beasts may have been the two Pokemon Game Freak originally planned for Gold and Silver's box art. The developers themselves never commented on the leak, however, so that's all just a theory, and you'd do well to take it with a grain of salt. With the sole exception of Lugia, every other Pokemon was made in-house by Game Freak designers, and it was a unique situation that allowed Shudo, the writer of the anime and movies, the opportunity to make a Pokemon of his very own. In fact, it was only possible because of a tragedy that took place in late 1997. What fans now call the Pokemon Shock. The anime's 38th episode, Cyber Soldier Porygon, contained a series of flashing red and blue lights that sent hundreds of Japanese kids into fits of seizures, and hospitalized almost 700 people. In the wake of the tragedy, every Pokemon episode was pulled from the airwaves, and Pokemon executives scrambled to deal with the situation, fearing it could result in the end of Pokemon altogether. So, with all his bosses distracted, Shudo took advantage of the situation to make the first Pokemon movie, Mewtwo Strikes Back, into a much darker film than his bosses would have otherwise allowed. Shudo says his bosses would have stopped him if they had the chance, but after Mewtwo Strikes Back broke box office records and became the highest grossing Japanese film to ever release in America, Shudo was given near total creative freedom to write the second Pokemon movie, and the first thing he did was crack open a bottle of booze. After retiring from the Pokemon franchise, Shudo admitted on his personal blog that he relied heavily on alcohol and pills to write both the Pokemon anime and the movies. He talked about it a lot, but just to illustrate the extent of it all, here's just one example of the sort of thing he was writing. If I can't drink, I take tranquilizers. Of course, the ones you can normally buy in a pharmacy, not illegal substances. When I get a little bit high, it helps me sort out all my confused thoughts. However, when it comes to alcohol and drugs, you need to know your limit. Like, if I start to think that one plus one doesn't necessarily equal two, when these become difficult, it means I'm drunk. If I get any more intoxicated after that, I won't be able to think productively, and there's also the danger of tripping somewhere and hurting myself. Shudo makes it undeniably clear he was under the influence pretty much the entire time he was working on the Pokemon franchise, and went into particular detail about his intake while he was writing the Pokemon second movie. So it's fair to say that Lugia wasn't just a result of the Pokemon shock, but it was also born out of Shudo's substance abuse. Even before Shudo came up with the movie's plot, the first ideas he came up with were two main characters. The Collector, who went on to become Lawrence III, and what he called Pokemon X, a placeholder name for what eventually became Lugia. This is why, when Lugia later appeared in the anime, Dr. Namba refers to Lugia as Pokemon X. What action do you want them to take regarding the mysterious Pokemon X? According to Shudo, X was supposed to be a creature different from Pokemon, since it had to symbolize life for humans too. It's a symbol of life, but also a symbol of coexistence. Originally, Pokemon didn't have genders, but X symbolizes deep ocean currents and created life on Earth. It's a maternal Pokemon. Shudo originally wrote the movie based around Pokemon X, and purposefully excluded series regulars like Ash, Pikachu, and Team Rocket. He wasn't particularly fond of Ash, and wanted him written out of the anime, but Shudo's subordinates asked him to inject Ash into the script anyway, which he eventually agreed to as a way of showing his willingness to compromise. Pokemon X finally got an official name during an all-hands-on-deck production meeting. Staff from every corner of the franchise attended, including staff working on the film, Game Freak employees, and even distribution staff. Everyone in the meeting voted, and the winning name, of course, turned out to be Lugia. The most likely inspiration for its name is Lugio, a Latin word that means to lie dormant, probably chosen because the first time Lugia is ever seen by the public is five minutes into the film when it's lying dormant deep under the ocean. The name might also draw partial inspiration from the beluga whale, which Lugia bears some resemblance to. Lugia's role in the story has some parallels with the Great White Whale in Moby Dick, with Lawrence playing the part of Captain Ahab, but it's unclear if that was actually Shudo's intention. As far as lore inspiration, Shudo may have drawn from Japanese mythology's God of the Sea, the benevolent dragon Ryujin. Not only does Lugia resemble a wyvern dragon, but in the Japanese version of the movie, Lugia is also called the God of the Sea. Lugia has the power to summon storms, as does Ryujin, like when he used a hurricane to repel a 
fleet of Mongolian ships invading Japan. The Ryujin connection was eventually made even stronger with Lugia's shiny colors, which matched those of Ryujin's legendary underwater castle. One key difference though, is that while Ryujin is a male god, Shudo specifically created Lugia as a female god. But unfortunately for Shudo, Lugia ended up resembling Ryujin a little bit more than he might have intended. He created Lugia as the maternal symbol of life and deep ocean currents, but like many Pokemon, after coming up with the creature's concept, the details were out of the creator's control. Not just Lugia's name, but also its voice and gender. He felt strongly that as a maternal god, Lugia should have been voiced by a female actress, but the film studio went against his wishes and chose a male actor instead. In the final year of his life, Shudo wrote at great lengths about the anguish this caused him. Here's just a few excerpts from his final months. One of the regrets I have about writing the second Pokemon movie was that I didn't push back on the gender assigned to Lugia. Although its gender isn't addressed in the plot, it's given a male voice, but it's a maternal Pokemon. To make matters worse, using a male voice actor for Lugia was a decision made during a big meeting with many participants. Advertisements had already aired. It was too late. We couldn't suddenly change Lugia into a female. But the more I thought about it, the less I could imagine X being anything else but female. I was gulping down alcohol and drugs. I started to feel like I wanted to die. Not only was Lugia voiced by a man, but it was made genderless in the games. Shudo wrote a lot about Lugia in the year before he died, but it was the loss of its maternal identity that pained him most. In late 2010, he collapsed in the smoking room of a train station and was rushed to the hospital, but tragically didn't survive. The cause of death was a subarachnoid hemorrhage, which is essentially a brain bleed whose risk factors include cigarettes and alcohol. It was Shudo's substance abuse that fueled his writing and gave birth to Lugia, but sadly, it may have also been what killed him. This brings us to the end of Shudo's story, but it's far from the end of Lugia's. To continue, we need to rewind back to Gen 2's development. The first Lugia beta sprite ever found is dated back to a month before the second movie landed in Japanese theaters. It looks nearly identical to Lugia's final design, but has six dorsal spines instead of the 10 on the finished sprite. But there's an even older beta sprite dating back to the Shushu period that may have been an even earlier form of Lugia, an unnamed boat Pokemon, now known only by its proto-Pokedex number, number 344. Just like Lugia, 344 appears to draw partial inspiration from plesiosaurs, a type of marine reptile that went extinct 65 million years ago, along with the dinosaurs. Some of its physical details are similar as well, especially its dorsal design, long neck, and its tail, which has led some fans to speculate that after Shudo came up with the Pokemon X concept, Game Freak might have used 344 as a springboard to come up with a brand new design that ultimately became Lugia. As an apparent non-legendary, some fans also believe 344 may have been evolutionary related to two other lost Pokemon from that version of the Protodex. However, since that particular leak lacked evolution data and the developers themselves have never commented on those lost Pokemon, any relation between Lugia and 344 is entirely speculative. It's unclear if Shudo made any sketches himself. And as a matter of fact, in 2009, Shudo said he doesn't know who all was involved in the design process. However, we do know who to credit for Lugia's final design. Like all Gen 2 Pokemon, Game Freak's art director Ken Sugimori made Lugia's final revisions and drew the watercolor artwork that became its official design. Although it's worth pointing out that even after Lugia landed on the silver screen, which by the way became the second highest earning Japanese movie to ever hit American theaters, there was one significant detail that wasn't truly cemented until almost a decade later. In the movie, Lugia was white with blue spikes and its in-game sprites were white and blue as well. But Ken Sugimori actually released two contradictory pieces of watercolor artwork during Gen 2, one with blue spikes and another with black spikes. After that, Lugia's sprites switched to black in Gen 3 as well as in Gen 4's beta, but finally in Gen 4, the sprites switched back to blue spikes. This was also the case with Lugia's Gen 4 artwork. And 
after that, it was never seen with black spikes ever again. There's also the question of Lugia's elemental type, a topic that's caused some confusion ever since its inception. Neither the film or Shudo himself ever directly addressed Lugia's type. Although presumably when Shudo created the God of the Sea, he probably intended her as half water type. But when Game Freak went to program it into gold and silver, they ended up making it dual type psychic and flying. According to programmer and designer Shigeki Morimoto, who's best known as the creator of Mew, Lugia was made half psychic simply because they wanted to make it strong. In the July 2009 issue of Nintendo Dream Magazine, he said, We wanted Lugia to give the impression of being a powerful Pokemon, so we settled on psychic for the second type instead of water type. In other words, Lugia's not a water type, despite being underwater, because due to its flying type appearance and psychic type being the symbol of a powerful Pokemon at the time. For some extra context to what Morimoto is saying here, it's worth noting that psychics were so powerful back in the 90s that Mew and Mewtwo were banned from all three World Cups, and even after the ban, nearly half the Pokemon used by the finalists were all psychic types. But what about Shadow Lugia, or as it's known in Japan, Dark Lugia. It made its first, and as of the making of this video, its only appearance in the 2005 GameCube title Pokemon XD Gale of Darkness. In the game, Shadow Lugia is referred to by its codename XD001, which some fans believe is a reference to its origins as Pokemon X. Weirdly, the Pokemon company never actually said what XD stands for, so fans have been speculating for the past 15 years whether it's Extra Darkness, Extreme Darkness, or some other abbreviation. Did you know gaming got in contact with Tsukasa Tawada, the composer who created Shadow Lugia's theme, as well as all the music in both Colosseum and Gale of Darkness. He told us the XD actually stands for Extra Dimension. And when we asked if the developers intended XD001 as a nod to Pokemon X, he didn't seem to even know what we were talking about. Just like the original Lugia, its shadow form wasn't created by Game Freak. Both its concept and its design were made by Gale of Darkness's developers at Genius Sonority. Lugia was the only shadow Pokemon in the game to receive a unique design, whereas every other shadow Pokemon retained their standard appearance just with a purple haze. Shadow Lugia is often cited as the very first Pokemon ever designed by James Turner, the Englishman who eventually worked his way through the ranks to become Sword and Shield's art director. But just like the original Lugia, its dark side was really more of a team effort. According to James, Lugia was chosen as the star of the game by the writing team. He said he doesn't know why they chose Lugia, but presumably it's because Ho-Oh was the star of the Ore game that came before. Pokemon Coliseum. But James wasn't the guy who drew the first sketches either. It was the art director Hiromoto Senichi, who's probably most famous as the illustrator of the Star Wars Return of the Jedi manga series. After Hiromoto hammered down the basic design, Shadow Lugia was finally handed off to James, who chose the colors and finalized the design. James also made Shadow Lugia's official art that appears on the box art, as well as the CGI cutscenes that featured Shadow Lugia. Shudo grew obsessed with with Lugia, and similarly, James also had a great affection to Shadow Lugia. Both of them considered Lugia their baby, in some sense. James calls it his dark child, and occasionally laments on Twitter that he'd love to see Shadow Lugia return someday. Unfortunately, the only way to transfer Shadow Lugia to a mainline Pokemon game is by purifying it, at which point it just becomes an ordinary Lugia. Meaning Shadow Lugia is trapped forever on fans' GameCube memory cards. But now that James is working Game Freak proper and has a lot more clout as the art director, maybe someday we could see Shadow Lugia finally return to the series. In 2020, the Venusaur, Charizard, and Blastoise clones from Mewtwo Strikes Back made their way into Pokemon Go, so Shadow Lugia might someday make a comeback as well, even if it's only in a spin-off. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.
Did you know there's a lost Pokemon movie about a T-Rex fossil that comes to life and almost destroys Kanto? The movie was written by Takeshi Shudo, the chief writer of the first two Pokemon films, as well as the early years of the Pokemon anime. Just a few months before his death in 2010, Shudo wrote a series of entries on his blog explaining what the movie was about, what inspired him to write it, and why it was ultimately never made. We recently translated all those blog entries into English, so all the information in this video comes directly from Takeshi Shudo himself. This story begins with Shudo waking up in the hospital hooked up to an IV drip. At this point, he had already completed several seasons of the anime and thought pretty soon the series would come to an end. He even knew how it would end, but one day the director told Shudo that the anime would continue on for at least 10 more years, leading Shudo to obsess over how he could possibly make it last in perpetuity. Shudo wanted to get rid of Ash and reboot the series with a new protagonist and have the show grow up with its audience and tackle more mature themes. He drank more and more as he obsessed over these musings until eventually Shudo drank so much that he blacked out. When he woke up in the hospital, he felt completely alienated from the nurses treating him. They were all girls in their 20s, and by now Shudo had aged into a 50-year-old man. They treated him like he was ancient, and that he found it impossible to have any real conversations with them. He felt depressed, alone, and worst of all to him, old. Shudo thought to another time he had blacked out and woke up in a hospital bed, back to when he was a younger man of 38. After recovering back then, he took all his nurses out for drinks and tried to romance the one he thought was the prettiest, even staying up until 4am talking to her on the phone one night. When he was younger, the nurses found him charming and thought his job as a screenwriter was exciting. He was such a heavy drinker that he found himself in the hospital on a pretty regular basis. So regular, in fact, that in the middle of the story, he offered his readers some pro tips, like to make sure you always buddy up to the head nurse so she'll direct her subordinates to give you the best care. He says one time he even attended a Pokemon script meeting with an IV needle in his arm. But now his youth was spent and those days were gone. He wrote, They didn't treat me like a man exactly, more like an uncle. It was also an apprentice nurse who acted like I was in elder care. They were certainly kind, but it was the sort of kindness that makes you stand up and offer your seat to an old man on the train. I was in a private room staring at the ceiling on an IV drip without having any real conversations with the nurses. The question that naturally came to mind was, what is this world I live in? This was the state he was in when he suddenly grabbed a pen and paper and started writing. The first day of a six-month process crafting a brand new Pokemon movie, a third film to follow up on the success of Pokemon the Movie 2000. The theme of the first movie, Mewtwo Strikes Back, was the existence of self. The second movie was coexistence, and now this third movie's theme would be what is this world I exist in? Shudo explains that real-world animals can be found in early anime episodes, but later on their existence was pretty much erased as the anime's canon changed to include just Pokemon and humans. So he wanted to reintroduce animals in the most dramatic way possible, people digging up an ancient fossil of a Tyrannosaurus. At this point in the story, Shudo suddenly disappears for 13 days. When he returns with his next blog post, he starts off saying, I'm sorry for the sudden absence. Lately I've been struggling. Trouble sleeping, no appetite, getting sick. Then I fainted while I was on the computer. My body was on the road to recovery last year, but suddenly fell into a tailspin. Okay, let's pick up the story where we left off. Shudo continues. The discovery of the Tyrannosaurus fossil sends Kanto's scientists into an uproar as they question what it could mean for their understanding of the world they live in. He likens it to when humans in the real world found out the Earth was round, or what Charles Darwin's theory of evolution meant for human existence. He writes, Is there some great secret to this world's very existence? With the discovery of the Tyrannosaurus fossil, people begin to wonder about the world in which they live. But there's no time to waste thinking about it because a blue light appears in the eye of the Tyrannosaurus fossil and it starts to move. It's headed somewhere. It doesn't care about the human world or the wild world of Pokemon in its path. It crosses rivers and oceans in a straight line. Anything that gets in its way is crushed. The Tyrannosaurus just keeps making a beeline for who knows where, destroying everything in its path. Eventually, it reaches Pallet Town and stomps Professor Oak's lab into dust, leaving Oak just stammering, I knew this day would come, but I don't know why it's happening. I knew this day would come. Shudo summarizes the script, saying a lot of the screen time focuses on Pokemon habitats and human dramas that are unfortunate enough to get between the fossil and its destination. To be clear, this isn't a living, breathing dinosaur. It's a fossil made of stone that, for mysterious reasons, suddenly became sentient. 
Ash and his friends, as well as Jesse, James, and Meowth all try to stop it, along with pretty much every human and Pokemon in existence. They don't know why, but their gut instinct tells them that the Tyrannosaurus could destroy the entire world. One of Team Rocket's secret bases lies within its path of destruction, so Team Rocket joins the resistance as well, as old animosities and rivalries all fade away in the fight for existence. The only living being who remains calm is Mewtwo, who as usual is brooding and wondering about its own self-existence. Shooter says that the introduction of the Tyrannosaurus was partially motivated by the fact that Gold and Silver weren't finished yet, which meant he had to rely on the same 151 Pokemon he had already used in the first two movies and anime episodes. He thought maybe a new Pokemon could be made for this movie, just like he had created Lugia for the previous film. But in a meeting Shudo wasn't invited to, Game Freak and the movie's producers decided that, unlike the last time, the third movie wouldn't get a brand new Pokemon of its own. So he wanted to add a new sort of creature and got the idea of a Tyrannosaurus from one of the largest and best-preserved T-Rex specimens ever found. It was named after its discoverer, Sue Hendrickson, then auctioned off for nearly a billion yen shortly before Shudo started writing his script. He says he would have bid on it himself if he could, but unfortunately he didn't have a billion yen just sitting around. So instead of Shudo's garage, nowadays Sue can be found in the Field Museum of Natural History in Chicago. He also cited Shonen Kenya as inspiration, one of his favorite childhood manga. Shonen Kenya tells the story of a Japanese boy whose family moves to Africa during World War II. The British kidnap his father, so he has to go on a series of adventures to get him back, including one adventure where he gets chased by dinosaurs. Shudo poured his heart and soul into the third Pokemon movie, but in the end, it never got made. He said, It took me six months after leaving the hospital to write it, but ultimately, the script got rejected. The reason wasn't that it would destroy world-building of Pokemon, or that it was confusing, or that it had a heavy theme. The reason they gave me was that a story where an inorganic object becomes conscious and starts moving wouldn't be a hit. I was in no mood to talk. After all, I had been working on this script for almost half a year. I went back to Odawara and drank a lot of sake. The film's director, Kunihiko Yuyama, just didn't have the confidence in Shudo's movie. Yuyama worked on a similar film a few years earlier about a car that gains consciousness and runs amok, which failed to meet financial expectations. Shudo was confident in the quality of his script, but he couldn't guarantee its success at the box office. He felt an extraordinary weight on his shoulders as he walked around Tokyo and saw countless street merchants selling Pokemon merchandise, most of it unlicensed and handmade. He figured a lot of the knockoff Pikachu dolls were probably stitched together at home by the city's poorest and most desperate residents. If the next movie flopped, the Pokemon company would take a hit, but ultimately they'd be just fine. However, it was the street vendors selling pirated goods and their families that relied on them to bring home the bacon, who'd get hit the hardest. Considering the demands of his superiors as well as the plight of the pirates, Shudo reluctantly scrapped the script. In the end, Shudo would co-write a completely different script with Hideki Sonoda. Game Freak and the film's producers approved four Pokemon from Gold and Silver to be included in this new script, with two of them being Entei and Unknown. So they wrote a story around them that eventually became The Spell of the Unknown. Although she's called Molly in the English version, the Japanese movie's main character is a young girl named Mi, who Shudo named after his daughter. He said, My daughter was born when I was 45 years old, which means that by the time she reaches adolescence, I'll be an old man. I might even be dead. So I decided to make this film a little present for my daughter. The producer and the staff didn't know anything about it. As for the ending of the Tyrannosaurus script, Shudo purposefully left it a mystery. The fossil spends most of the movie stomping in a straight line, so the big question is, where exactly has it been going this whole time? At the end of his post, Shudo tells his readers, and the place where the Tyrannosaurus fossil finally stops is, well, I don't think I'll tell you actually. He goes on to say he'll publish a small novel with more information at a later date, just as he had done for the first two movies. It would have been Volume 3 in the animation series, books Shudo wrote with extra lore and information not seen in the movies or TV show. But tragically, he collapsed in the smoking area of Anaro Railway Station eight months later and died at a hospital shortly after, so the novel was never published. His death was caused by subarachnoid hemorrhage, which is essentially a brain bleed most likely caused or at least exacerbated by a lifetime of heavy drinking and smoking. And what eventually became of Shudo's lost Pokemon movie and where it ended up after his death remains a mystery even to this day. Did you 
know, there are 50 e-reader cards for Fire Red and Leaf Green that were never released outside Japan. A lot of the content the cards unlocked can't be accessed by any other means, and since e-reader cards are region locked, most fans never got a chance to experience any of that content. Although it was eventually made compatible with other franchises like Mario and Animal Crossing, the e-reader was originally marketed as a Pokemon device, called the Pokemon Card e-reader. Scanning the strips on select Pokemon TCG cards into the e-reader unlocked exclusive content for your Game Boy Advance, like a Space Invaders-style minigame where Tyranitar fights an active volcano. You could also scan e-reader cards into Ruby and Sapphire for trainer battles, unique berry types, and the Eon ticket that took you to the Southern Island. Most of the cards were released in the US, but due to the e-reader's lack of popularity outside Japan, functionality for the cards and international versions of Fire Red and Leaf Green were deactivated. As a result, this 50-card set remained exclusive to Japan, containing 37 trainer cards and 13 tower cards. Scanning a trainer card imports up to three trainers onto one floor of the trainer tower in the Sevi Islands, and the trainer tower is eight stories tall, so you'd need to scan eight trainer cards. Lots of these cards are themed, like shiny evolutions and Kanto starters. Each card shows you just a few of the trainer's Pokemon, and only a few of their attacks, so you won't know the rest until you battle them. Their Pokemon are all scaled to match the level of the strongest Pokemon on your own team, so they'll always be a worthy challenge. You can mix and match trainer cards to make any tower you want, but ideally, fans are encouraged to build towers curated by Game Freak themselves, which is where the tower cards come in. There are 13 different tower cards, and each one is ranked by difficulty, beginner, intermediate, and advanced. A tower card tells you to scan 8 trainer cards in order to build the tower shown on the card. Tower cards also have an option for time attack, which gives players the option to have an extra layer of challenge for thrill seekers and completionists. Climbing towers doesn't reward you with experience, but you can win some decent prizes like dragon scales, metal coats, and upgrades. Some of these trainers were incorporated into international versions of the game without use of the e-reader, but a lot of them weren't, which makes these cards especially valuable to collectors. 44 cards in the game set could be found in 5 card booster packs, similar to TCG cards. One promo card was also distributed to fans in May 2004's issue of Koro Koro Magazine, and the last five cards could only be acquired through Club Nintendo. Nowadays, these five Club Nintendo cards, four trainers and one advanced tower, are incredibly rare, costing upwards of $2,000. Due to the card's rarity and difficulty, Fire and Leaf Green's ultimate challenge is building the Club Nintendo tower and completing its time attack of 12 minutes and 47 seconds. In Japan, the original Game Boy games were red and green, but internationally the first releases were called Pokemon Red and Blue. Since most international fans never played green, the remake's director, Jinichi Masuda, admitted that Water Blue would have made more sense than Leaf Green, but decided against it to symbolize the harmony of the Pokemon world. In 2004, Masuda wrote, If we followed the pattern of the original series, the new games would be Fire Red and Water Blue. But I chose Green as a leaf as a symbol of peace. Fire and Water are opposing concepts that suggest conflict, but the real world is already full of conflict. So we decided on names that suggest a peaceful world. Just like every previous game in the series, Fire Red and Leaf Green were localized into English almost entirely by just one man, a Canadian freelancer named Nob Ogasawara. As a thanks for his years of service, and also to provide an easter egg for fans, Nintendo of America named lots of NPCs after him, starting with Black Belt Nob in Gen 2 Cienwood Gym, as well as another Black Belt on Hoenn Route 115. Nob told us that in real life he'd make a terrible Black Belt, as he has the coordination of a mechanical monkey. Nintendo later found out he spent a lot of his time off work hiking, so for Fire Red and Leaf Green, they changed Nob from a Black Belt into a hiker on his way to Bill's house, and you can find him on Route 25 with three Geodude and a Machop. Nob was also included in the remakes Heart Gold and Soul Silver, Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire, and Let's Go Pikachu and Eevee. But after translating 25 Pokemon games almost single-handedly, Nob got laid off in the middle of Gen 4 due to contractual complications between Nintendo and the Pokemon Company, so unfortunately he didn't make his way into Sinnoh or any later iterations. Speaking of Nob Ogasawara, the Sebi Isles south of Kanto are based on the Ogasawara Islands that lie off the southern coast of the real-life Kanto region of Japan. They're actually named after Nob's ancestors, who claim to have been the first Japanese to ever set foot on these islands. The Ogasawara Islands were never geographically connected to the continent, and as a result, they're populated by plants and animals that are nowhere to be found on the Japanese mainland, which makes their in-game counterparts, the Sevi Islands, a perfect home for all of the Johto and Hoenn Pokemon found in Fire Red and Leaf Green. Some of the Sevi Islands represent specific Ogasawara Islands, like Deoxy's home, Birth Island, which is clearly modeled after Minami Torishima. In real life, the United States and Japanese governments fought over the strategic naval island for nearly a hundred years. The US finally gained control of the island after World War II, but ultimately gave it back to Japan peacefully in the 1960s. There are over 30 Ogasawara Islands, and interestingly, the game's internal data shows a lot more Sevi Islands that didn't make it into the final game, including names and even some maps.
maps for Islands 8 and 9, as well as 22, 23, and 24. It appears Game Freak was originally planning on 24 islands, or possibly even more, but the internal maps are unfinished, so the islands count was probably reduced before too much time was spent in development. Some of the Sevies are also based on the Izu Islands, a volcanic island chain that inspired Mount Ember, the dormant volcano on one island, and also Naval Rock, whose winding passageways were formed by volcanic lava. In addition to the extra islands, another aspect of the Sevies never saw the light of day, and as a result, Fire Red and Leaf Green ended up with only 46 Johto Pokemon instead of the 59 Game Freak intended. Surfing north of Six Island, players can find a small area called Outcast Island, whose only purpose is being home to Altern Cave. It's a small cavern about four screens large, and it only contains one Pokemon, Zubat. At first glance, it seems like a pointless local, but it's actually left over from a series of unused events. These events would have given fans a mystery gift that altered the Pokemon found inside, replacing Zubat with eight Johto Pokemon. Marif, Apom, Pineco, Shuckle, Teddy Ursa, Houndour, Stantler, and Smeargle. Fans would have been met with the following text, which can still be found in the game's data. Thank you for using the mystery gift system. Recently, there have been rumors of rare Pokemon appearances. The rumors are about Altern Cave on Outcast Island. Why not visit there and check out if the rumors are indeed true. But unfortunately, Nintendo never got around to actually hosting any of these events, so these Gen 2 Pokemon and their evolutions, a total of 13 monsters, ended up unobtainable, and nowhere to be found in Ruby and Sapphire either. So fans were left with some annoying holes in their Pokedex that couldn't be filled until Emerald hit store shelves a year later. When Fire Red and Link Green launched, art director Ken Sugimori drafted a new art set to replace the series' original watercolor art, and in the process changed the number of fingers and toes on a lot of Kanto Pokemon. Hunter, Golem, and Raticate all had four fingers on each hand, but their updated designs had just three. Meanwhile, Pikachu and Mr. Mime sprouted additional fingers, now giving them five on each hand. According to Pokebeach founder John Zahagian, at a 2009 Tokyo event, a Pokemon Company staffer told him, the Pokemon Company has an internal list of every change ever made to a Pokemon's design. For example, he told me Mr. Mime gained an extra finger because Japanese parents wrote in to complain about its four fingers being associated with gangs. I later learned the Yakuza get their fingers cut off, so I guess parents thought Mr. Mime was a Yakuza reference. There's a taboo in Japan against cartoon characters with four fingers, not only because of the Yakuza, but also because it's considered offensive to lower class workers like butchers and meat packers who've lost a finger. Some Pokemon also sprouted extra toes, like how Zapdos and Dodrio went from three on each foot in Gen 1 to four on each foot in Fire Red and Leaf Green. But this probably had more to do with consistency than taboo. Articuno, Moltres, and Oduo had all four toes from the very beginning, so the designers probably thought it was weird that Zapdos and Dodrio only had three, and revised their designs accordingly. All these Pokemon's original designs were never seen again, and future generations permanently replaced them with Fire Red and Leaf Green redesigns. According to Satoru Okada, the general manager from the DS games, the DS might not have had built-in Wi-Fi if it wasn't for Fire Red and Leaf Green. As you can still see on the game's box art, fans who bought Fire Red and Leaf Green also received a GBA wireless adapter, which allowed for trading and battles without a link cable. In an interview with Japanese Nintendo Online Magazine, Okada said, we started development with a wireless adapter bundled with Pokemon Fire Red and Leaf Green. When we saw it, we thought, we can definitely make it happen. Some people find the cable annoying, and you can't really walk around or move when connected to another system. So we wanted to develop the wireless capability even further. We thought making it part of the system itself, rather than an adapter, would make it even easier to use. If Okada's team hadn't built Wi-Fi into the DS, many of the special events in Gen 4 and Gen 5 wouldn't have been possible. Did you know? Dozens of Pokemon are based on prehistoric animals and other extinct species. Lots of Pokemon have some dinosaurian inspiration, though many are filtered through a lens of monster movies and TV shows that Game Freak watched as kids, especially Ultraman and Godzilla. Nidoking looks a bit like a dinosaur, but he was probably inspired by Baragon from Frankenstein Conquers the World. And of course, Tyranitar was modeled after Godzilla himself. But for the most part, we'll leave the monster movie references for another video. Today, we're just gonna focus on a few of the Pokemon based on specific animals that have gone extinct. So let's dig in and explore how paleontology shaped the world of Pokemon. The Dragapult family, and in particular its final evolution, draw inspiration from Diplocolis. These were amphibians with boomerang-shaped skulls that existed even before the dinosaurs. All three stages of the Dragapult family exhibit the theme of amphibian metamorphosis, the way real-life amphibian bodies transform as they grow older. 
Dreepy has visible gills and only two underdeveloped arms. Draycloak loses the gills and starts growing a second pair of legs. And Dragapult completes the metamorphosis with fully developed legs. These Pokemon also pay homage to Diplocolis via their elemental types, being half dragon and half ghost, to reference the extinct amphibian. Yanmega is based on prehistoric giant dragonflies called Meganeura. With massive wingspans up to 28 inches wide, these ancient dragonflies were seven times bigger than the largest dragonfly living today. Yanmega being inspired by a Meganeura isn't only hinted at by them both having Mega in their names, but also by its method of evolution. Yanma evolves into Yanmega when it levels up knowing the attack Ancient Power. As mentioned earlier, Game Freak were hugely influenced by giant TV monsters, who in Japanese were called Kaju. Game Freak's long-held affection for Kaiju helped explain how Meganeura, out of the countless different prehistoric animals, came to have a Pokemon based on it. This is because there's an actual Kaiju who is a mutated Meganeura. It made its first appearance in Godzilla vs. Megaguirus, a film released in late 2000, just six years before Yanmega made its debut in Pokemon Diamond and Pearl. Aerodactyl, or Terra in Japan, is based on the Pterodactyl or to use the scientific term, pterosaur. Aerodactyl's about 6 feet tall, but pterosaurs could grow to 20 feet tall. They weren't all that big though, with some pterosaurs being tiny. In fact, in 2014, a new kind of pterosaur was discovered that was so small it could actually fit in your pocket. The paleontologist who discovered this pocket monster named it Aerodactylus, stating the name derives from the Nintendo Pokemon Aerodactyl, a fantasy creature made up of a combination of different pterosaurian features. In addition to their confessed love for Ultraman and Godzilla, Game Freak were also influenced by the movie Jurassic Park, which debuted halfway into Red and Green's six-year development. In the games, scientists say Aerodactyl is extinct, but if you give them an old amber, they can bring Aerodactyl back to life. Examining the official 90s artwork for the old amber reveals that there's an ancient mosquito trapped inside, referencing how dinosaurs were resurrected in Jurassic Park. With the exception of Aerodactyl, all fossil Pokemon from the first three generations were inspired by creatures that existed long before dinosaurs evolved, around 230 million years ago. Omnite and Amistar are based on Ammonites, prehistoric relatives of the squid and octopus. Kabuto is essentially a mix of two ancient animals, trilobites and horseshoe crabs. Trilobites were among Earth's most successful prehistoric creatures, populating the world's oceans for nearly 300 million years. This real-world timeline is reflected in the Pokédex, which tells us that Kabuto hid on the seafloor 300 million years ago. Horseshoe crabs, on the other hand, are prehistoric arthropods that have survived into the modern era and can still be seen washed up on beaches. Since they're twice as old as dinosaurs and have barely changed at all in 450,000 millennia, horseshoe crabs are sometimes referred to as living fossils, a term also used by the Pokédex to describe Kabuto. Kabuto's evolution, Kabutops, is a mix of two prehistoric animals as well, trilobites and sea scorpions, ocean-dwelling arthropods that could grow up to 8 feet long, twice as big as Kabutops. The Lilip family are based on sea lilies and are even classified in the Pokédex as the sea lily Pokémon. Real-life sea lilies live deep in the ocean, attached to the seabed by a stalk. Even though they're animals, they look more like plants, which is why Lilip and Cradilly are half grass types. Anorith is classified as the Old Shrimp Pokemon, which is fitting as its evolutionary line is based on Anomalocaris, an extinct relative of arthropods whose name means Odd Shrimp. At three feet long, Anomalocaris were the apex predators of their day. When all life was confined to the oceans half a billion years ago, shrimp were at the top of the food chain. Starting in Generation 4, Game Freak began basing fossil Pokemon on dinosaurs rather than the prehistoric creatures that came before. Granados and Rampardos draw inspiration from Pachycephalosaurus, dinosaurs whose skulls were 10 inches thick, making them the thickest skulled animals ever to have walked the Earth. The Pokedex says Kranidos toughened their already rock-hard skulls by headbutting one another, a habit inspired by the speculated behavior of Pachycephalosaurus. The Shieldon family are based on Ceratopsians, the most formidable plant eaters of the Cretaceous period. They could grow up to 30 feet long and were more than capable of defending and sometimes even killing a Tyrannosaurus. Shieldon and Bastodon are herbivores as well, with the Pokedex telling us they eat grass and berries. Some viewers might think that all Pokemon are plant eaters, but the Pokedex makes it clear that some actually eat meat. Some even eat other Pokemon. The Pokedox says Furret hunt Rattata, Talonflame's favorite food is Wingle and Pikapak, and Sneasels scare Pidgey away from their nests so they can feast on their eggs. Turchuga and Caracosta, the proto-turtle Pokemon, are based on extinct protostegid turtles. Protostegids were among the biggest turtles that ever existed, measuring up to 15 feet long and weighing 5,000 pounds. The largest protostegid, Archelon, was the size of a car and lived in the shallow oceans that once covered North America, which is probably why the Turtuga family was introduced in the American-based region of Unova. The Arkin family was based on Archaeopteryx, the earliest known bird. 
explaining why the Pokedex classifies Arcan and Archaeops as the first bird Pokemon, and says they're the ancestors of all bird Pokemon. Archaeopteryx were an ancient evolutionary stage between feathered dinosaurs who couldn't fly and their descendants, including modern-day birds. Archaeopteryx could grow up to 20 inches, which is the exact height of an Arcan. Tyrunt and Tyrantrum are based on the world's most famous dinosaur, the Tyrannosaurus. You may have seen some Jurassic Park debunked videos claiming that Tyrannosaurus were actually scavengers rather than apex predators depicted in the movies, but most paleontologists believe they were actually both. They scavenged when the opportunity arose, but they were primarily active predators. Tyrannosaurus had one of the most powerful bites of any land animal, allowing them to crush the bones and meat of any creature that stood in their way. The Amara family are based on the long-necked dinosaur Amargosaurus, whose neck sails may have been used for peacocking to attract a mate. Only one Amargosaurus fossil has ever been discovered. It was dug up in southern Argentina, which just so happens to be one of the best places on Earth to view the southern lights, or to use the technical term, the Aurora Australis. This is probably why Amara and Aurorus' sails look like the Aurora Australis, and why Amara can only evolve into Aurorus at night, as the Aurora Australis can only be seen at night. The Gala region introduced four new fossil Pokémon, who are all strange mishmashes of various fossil creatures. Some Pokémon fans believe they're a reference to the Crystal Palace dinosaurs outside London, but the paleontological expert that advised us for this video's production disagrees with the fans' interpretation. The Crystal Palace dinosaurs weren't multiple species combined to create Frankensteins. Rather, they only contained minor errors, like scientists putting an Iguanodon skeleton's thumb bone on its nose, thinking it was a horn. Our expert believes the Galar fossils aren't based on these sort of errors, but rather on paleontological forgeries. Forgeries are multiple fossils combined into Frankensteins, sometimes created by hucksters who want to claim they've discovered a brand new species. One of history's most famous forgeries was the Piltdown Man, a supposed missing link between ape and human discovered by a British archaeologist in 1912. It wasn't until 40 years later that scientists were able to prove that Piltdown Man was a hoax and actually was the combination of human and orangutan bones. In 1999, National Geographic magazine ran a cover story about a new species of feathered dinosaur discovered in China called the Archaeoraptor, but it turned out to be a forgery as well, made up from the head and arms of a bird and the legs and tail of various dinosaurs. One of Galar's four fossil Pokémon appears to draw inspiration from a real paleontological blunder though. The American scientist Edward Drinker Cope once incorrectly placed the skull of a newly discovered fossil on the end of its tail rather than on its neck, essentially constructing the animal backwards. That Pokémon is Dragovish, which has the head of a placoderm fish coming on the tail of a stegosaur-like dinosaur. Most of the grass starter's final stages draw from prehistoric life. Venusaur might be the first example to pop into your head, as the Bulbasaur family has the sore suffix in their names, implying a connection to dinosaurs. But their original Japanese names have nothing to do with dinosaurs. For example, Venusaur's name is Fushigabana, meaning strange flower. Pokemon developers have said several times that the Venusaur family are basically just frogs, not dinosaurs. But in Gen 2, we do start to see the prehistoric theme take hold. Meganium borrows several traits from sauropod dinosaurs like Brachiosaurus. Meganium is only about 6 feet tall, but in real life, sauropods were the largest dinosaurs ever to exist. The largest land animals of all time were a group of sauropod dinosaurs called Titanosaurs, who could grow up to 120 feet tall and weigh as much as 150,000 pounds. This dino inspiration likely explains this Pokémon's prototype name in Gold and Silver's 1997 demo. Before its name was Meganium, it was called Hanoriyu, which in Japanese means flower dragon. Sceptile draws its inspiration from theropods a group of dinosaurs that includes both Dilophosaurus and raptors. Just like Sceptile, theropods are bipedal, meaning they walk on two legs rather than four, with many possessing three fingers and toes on each hand and foot. Theropods were the ancestors of birds, and had many feathers on their arms, just like Sceptile's pre-evolution grovile. Despite what you may have seen in the movies, like Jurassic Park, theropods weren't especially intelligent, at least by modern standards, and raptors almost certainly wouldn't have been smart enough to open doors, let alone spring traps on paleontologists. Some Pokémon are based on more recent fossils, Torterra is based on Maolania turtles, who only went extinct about 2,000 years ago, possibly due to human settlement. Maolania turtles were the same size as Torterra, about 2 meters long, and their horns made it impossible to withdraw their heads into their shells. Like most Pokémon, Torterra actually draws inspiration from more than one source. In this case, the World Turtle from Chinese, Hindu, and Native American mythologies. The World Turtle is believed to carry the whole world on its back, which explains Torterra's half-ground type, and why the Pokédex says ancient people imagined that beneath the ground, a gigantic Torterra dwelled. Mamoswine is based on the woolly mammoth, relatives of modern-day elephants that went extinct fairly recently, mostly dying off at the end of the Ice Age 10,000 years ago. 
This fact is reflected in the Pokédex's entry, which tells us a frozen Mamoswine was dug from ice dating back 10,000 years. Male Mamoswine have larger tusks than female Mamoswine, which is a reference to the gender differences in some real-life elephant species whose females also have smaller tusks, and sometimes no tusks at all. And just like Yanmega, Mamoswine evolves from Piloswine when leveled up with ancient power. Chestnut draws inspiration from Glyptodonts, armor mammals that, like the woolly mammoth, went extinct around 10,000 years ago. Glyptodon are closely related to modern armadillos and could grow to the size of a Volkswagen Beetle. Decidui, on the other hand, isn't based on a truly prehistoric animal, but rather an animal that's gone extinct very recently. Decidui resembles a stilt owl, the type of exceptionally long-legged owl native to Hawaii. They were driven to extinction about 1,500 years ago, when a new species appeared in their environment, humans. Hawaii emerged from the ocean only a few million years ago, meaning the islands aren't old enough to have prehistoric animals living on them. This is why the Hawaii-inspired region of Alola didn't introduce any new fossil Pokémon, instead replacing them with ghost-type Pokémon based on extinct species. Decidui is a Hawaiian stilt owl, and Orikorio is a Hawaiian honeycreeper, a type of small bird that stilt owls preyed upon. Some honeycreepers have survived into the present, but a dozen honeycreeper species are presently endangered, and about 20 have already gone completely extinct. Similarly, Galarian Corsola is a ghost-type for the same reason. It's a species of coral that has been wiped out by climate change. Another prehistoric creature, just like the pocket-sized Aerodactylus, was named after a Pokémon. In 2017, an unknown prehistoric creature was discovered in South Africa, a Dicynodont, an ancient mammal relative even older than the dinosaurs. Its discoverer was a huge Pokémon fan, so he named it Bulbasaurus. The published artwork showing what Bulbasaurus may have looked like even has a bush in the background as a clever nod to Bulbasaur. Did you know? Magikarp and Gyarados come from a piece of Chinese mythology. The myth is about a dragon's gate that sits atop a waterfall cascading down a legendary mountain. Carp that are able to swim up the waterfall and leap over the gate are transformed into powerful dragons. This explains why you need to knock Magikarp into the waterfall to evolve it in Pokemon Snap. The game is referencing their origins. There's also some fan speculation on Magikarp's evolution. Some fans believe that Magikarp was originally intended to evolve into Dragonite, and Dragonair was supposed to evolve into Gyarados. This is mostly based on Magikarp's color scheme being similar to Dragonite, and Gyarados following Dratini and Dragonair's color scheme and serpent-like shape, but the origin story largely disproves this, as it's based on Chinese mythology. Chinese dragons are traditionally portrayed with serpent-like bodies and a crest, just like Gyarados. Dragonite's design appears to have more European influences. In Pokemon Red, Blue, and Yellow, your progress is halted in Viridian City by a grumpy old man who won't let you pass until he's had his morning coffee. In the Japanese versions, however, the old man was passed out on the ground drunk. His granddaughter says, Oh, Grandpa, how could you sleep in a place like this? And asks you to wait until he's sobered up. He later says, Ugh, looks like I was really drunk. And, My head hurts. Then asks if you know how to capture a Pokemon, as he does in the English version. This was likely deemed inappropriate and removed by Nintendo of America. Pokemon has a whole range of censorship and controversy attached to it. One basic example is the censoring of the game's art assets. Multiple trainer sprites have been altered in Pokemon Gold and Silver. The sprites were changed for the US, removing any kind of religious practice or symbol. The Sage is no longer praying, and the Medium's prayer beads have been removed. The Beauty and Female Swimmer sprites are no longer winking, and the Beauty has longer shorts. There's also a Fisherman who was originally smoking a cigarette. Trainer sprites were also censored in Generation 4 Pokemon games, the Male Swimmer's brief were changed to shorts. It wasn't just trainer sprites that were censored either. The sprite for Registeel was changed for the European release of Pokemon Diamond and Pearl, as Registeel's original pose resembled the Hitler salute. The redesign was kept for all versions of Pokemon Heart Gold, Soul Silver, and Platinum. Censorship was taken a step farther than altering a sprite for one Pokemon. Jinx actually had its official design altered. Controversy is what sparked Jinx's redesign, as some people began comparing Jinx's face to a stereotypical portrayal of black people known as Blackface. Because of this, parallels have been drawn between a Pokemon anime episode called Holiday Hijinks and the slave trade, as Jinx appears with its original design as Santa's helper. The Pokemon Shellos and Gastrodon were actually intended to debut in Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire. This was confirmed by an interview with Ken Sugimori in Nintendo Power, but there's also evidence hidden in the games themselves. In the game data for Pokemon Diamond and Pearl, there are two unused back sprites for Shellos and Gastrodon. Shellos has traits of both West Sea and East Sea variants from the final games. This, and only having one sprite for each Pokemon, suggests there was originally just one variety of Shellos. Making changes to an already fleshed out design and attaching entire 
entirely new concepts like multiple varieties also seems suggestive of Shellos having an unusually long period of development. There are also two unused Pokemon cries in Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire's game data that sound very similar and are thought to be the original cries of Shellos and Gastrodon. While we're on the subject of Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire, there are rumblings from fans about a possible remake of those games. The speculation comes from every key item sprite since the Generation 3 Pokemon games, including the ones not in Generation 4, such as the Fame Checker, were added back into Black 2 and White 2's game data. There are multiple throwbacks to Red and Blue in newer Pokemon games. One throwback is in Black 2 and White 2. At Route 3 in the original games, a youngster says, Hi, I like shorts. They're comfy and easy to wear. This became a popular phrase among Pokemon fans. It must have been recognized by the English translators, because in Black 2 and White 2's Humalau City, a lady will make a reference to the youngster, saying, This dress is comfy and easy to wear! At Route 10 in Red and Blue, Picnicker Carol says, The Pokemon here are so chunky, there should be a pink one with a floral pattern! This is actually what the Pokemon Muna was based on. It should also be noted that in Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire, there's an employee at the Devon Corporation who states, I'm trying to develop a device that visually reproduces the dreams of Pokemon. Dream Mist, which is produced by Muna, can achieve this, adding another connection to previous games. The Pokemon coughing and wheezing were originally named NY and LA, referencing the polluted state of the cities New York and Los Angeles. Another interesting bit on coughing is that his sprite scene in Pokemon Red and Blue is actually wrong. The official design that was set before the release of the game has coughing skull and crossbone design below his face, but the sprite in Red and Blue shows it the other way around. In the original games, the character Bill has a strong interest in computer technology and invented the computer Pokemon storage system. In the Japanese version of the games, he was named Masaki Sonazaki, but in the English versions, he was named Bill. It's thought this is a reference to former CEO of Microsoft, Bill Gates. Did you know? The original Pokemon games contain data for an unused town. The name of the town and its proper location can't be found, and it simply shows up in a default position above the Indigo Plateau with the title Pellet Town. There's also unused music in Pokemon Red and Blue. The music has been speculated to belong to the unused town data, but it's also possible the music was used to test the game's audio engine early in development. There's another unused music track, this time in Pokemon Yellow. The track is likely connected to an unused battle system that can be found in Pokemon Yellow's game data, but it also resembles a track from another Game Freak game called Bushi Seryuden Futari no Yusha. The unused system displays the text, Hurry! Get away! if the player attempts to select any menu option besides Run, giving the player no option but to flee from battle. It's thought that this system would also have been used for whenever the player went into a battle without a Pokémon. This also suggests that the player could have originally encountered wild Pokémon outside of Pallet Town before they were given a Pikachu. There's also an unused move entry for a hidden machine, or HM, in the code of the original games. The entry sits between the HM's Fly and Surf. In the Japanese Pokémon Red, there's text that translates to Ground Rose Up Somewhere. The text is stored next to the message that displays when the player uses the Strength HM in the game's overworld and is formatted in a similar way. Based on this, it seems likely the games originally had a sixth HM that somehow manipulated the ground. There's also an unused Pokémon type in the original games called Bird-type. The type has no strengths or weaknesses against any other Pokémon and can be displayed in the stance of the Glitch Pokémon such as Missing No. Some leftovers, including the bird type, are still in the code of Pokemon Gold and Silver. One piece of hidden content in Pokemon Gold is actually right on the title screen. By using a glitch to alter the way the game's palettes are loaded, it's possible to see that Ho-Oh is actually not a silhouette, but a full-color sprite. The sprite itself is unrefined. This suggests that the idea to have full-color Pokemon on the title screen was scrapped fairly quickly. Lucius' title screen sprite in Silver backs this up, as it's just a silhouette with no color. In an early version of Pokemon Gold and Silver shown at Nintendo's Space World event in 1997, the game's starting town wasn't Newbark Town. It was a completely different town named Silent Hills. It's thought that the name was at least changed to avoid comparisons to the horror game Silent Hill, which was released during Gold and Silver's development period. Another strange change is that the Lake of Rage was a full town, and even had a gym. The lake remained an important part of the game, and this original town classification is possibly why you can still fly to the location on the world map. Several areas in the Kanto region were at one point planned to be in Gold and Silver. The Safari Zone was planned to make a return, as were Pewter City Museum and the Cinnabar Island Laboratory. 
There have been many changes during the localization of Pokemon games over the years. Although a lot of these changes were due to censorship from Nintendo of America, some of the changes were made erroneously by mistranslating the source material or reworking something because it didn't make sense to those who didn't have a thorough understanding of Japanese culture. The move Thunder was inaccurately translated. The Japanese name for the move, Kaminari, can be interpreted as either Thunder or Lightning. Because the animation for the move shows a lightning bolt, the Japanese name was most likely referring to Lightning and not Thunder. A similar situation occurred to the move Thunder Punch, although the translators didn't have much of a choice this time. Pokemon moves could only be 12 characters long, so calling the move Lightning Punch was out of the question. The move Splash was also mistranslated. The move's Japanese name is Haneru, which can mean both Splash and Hop. In this case, the move is meant to be called Hop, which explains why Splash is a normal-type move and not water-type. Pokemon like Hoppip can use Splash. His Japanese name, Haneko, even shares the same root as the Japanese word for Hop. The move Night Slash is called Crossroad Killing in the Japanese games. The English name is still relatable to the meaning behind the Japanese name, but it's nowhere near specific. Crossroad Killing refers to a method in which some of the more morally corrupt samurai would test their swords in feudal Japan. In this method, known as Sujigiri, a samurai would hide at a crossroad waiting for an unsuspecting commoner to pass by. They would then test the sword by attacking the commoner with the intent to kill. One renaming of a move actually seems to make a lot of sense. The move Softboiled was originally called Egglay in the Japanese games, even though it could be learned and performed by male Pokémon. The Pokédex entries of certain Pokémon have also been altered in the English games. Several Pokédex entries for the Pokémon Drifloom suggest that it tries to steal children away, saying things like, It is whispered that any child who mistakes Drifloom for a balloon and holds onto it could wind up missing. However, Drifloom's Japanese Pokedex entry in Pokemon Pearl specifically mentions that it takes children to the world of the dead. This disturbing fact did make its way into the English speakers, but not to the core franchise Pokemon games. In the North American version of Super Smash Bros. Brawl, Drifloom's trophy information states that it tries to drag children into the underworld by their hands. Did you also know that Silver the Hedgehog from Sonic 06 was inspired by Trunks from the hit anime Dragon Ball Z? Or that Sonic Mania has a hidden tribute? For an entire hour of Sonic facts, check out the video on screen. of being upsold at gyms my guy you're currently a base member for 90 dollars more i can upgrade you to our shred membership for 130 more you'll be a swole member and for just 300 dollars more you'll reach sweat platinum at planet fitness you'll get energy without the upsell never pushy always free fitness training and equipment for every workout it's fitness that fits your budget join planet fitness for just one dollar down and ten dollars a month cancel anytime deal ends friday may 10th see home club for details